When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. CLNS Radio, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Hey. Here come the Celtics. Clock will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the goal. He's got it one second. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Celtics Beat on this Saturday All-Star break weekend. Celtics finally get a little break. It seems very strange not to have any Celtics on the All-Star team after all of the excitement over the years around the All-Star break. I remember one year what we had Rondo, Pierce, KG, and Ray Allen on the All-Star team at the same time, but things are a little different now. Celtics... We can all take a deep breath as they're 19-35 and 35 on the year. Kind of a rough week. They lose 2-3. or three. It's the Celtics beat. Ty Ray, Rich Conti for a Saturday. I want to bring you in, Rich. It is very strange not to see the Celtics exactly represented in New Orleans this weekend. Yeah, it is uh, kind of odd. You know, of course, we had Kelly Olenek and Jared Sullinger. got to watch them last night in the, the Rising Stars Challenge. But, yeah, definitely a far cry from, you know, what was it, 2010 when, you know, you had four of the Celtics out there, KG, Pierce, Ray Allen, and uh, uh, Rajon Rondo. And I think uh, Doc Rivers was the coach and kind of uh, filled that fifth spot on, in that lineup, had them all four out on the floor along with Dwight Howard. I think at the time uh, a lot of folks thought that was a recruiting pitch on, on behalf of Doc, but uh, of course it uh, didn't work out that way. Time's a little different right now. Celtics, 19-35 and 35 on the season, as I mentioned earlier. Looking better in recent weeks, Rich. They won four of six games. I'm looking on the bright side here, of course. Those wins came against teams like the Magic, the Sixers, the Kings, and the Bucks. but those are the games the Celtics should win if they're going to show improvement. 
Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that this team, you know, even with uh, the diminished talent compared to recent years, is still a cut above kind of the 2006-2007 team or the 1995-96 teams where the talent you know this team is young uh, but there is talent there and you know they're showing that uh, they can they can win games against the you know lower to mid echelon teams but you know when they face a a more talented and well prepared team like the Mavericks were the other night you get the result you know that you saw i thought more than anything the difference on the floor between them and the magic uh, excuse me them and the Mavericks was just the, the execution level um you know when the at the end of the t- tail end of the half and then into the second half the Mavericks offense just got a lot crisper the ball movement got a lot crisper and you know the Celtics were continually a step late on their rotations and and that was the difference Mavericks kind of carved them up from that point on and that makes sense because the Celtics have had a lot of moving parts this year so how can you ever get in that kind of groove how can you focus on execution when guys are coming in and out of the lineup be it with trades or coming from the developmental league or guys that are hurt it's awful hard to get a consistent five on the floor. And Brad Stevens, considering all of these factors, I think he's done a very good job, despite the fact the Celtics are 19 and 35 on the year and 12th in the East. Yeah, he really has. And, you know, when people talk about a transitional season, you know, it's a transitional season in a lot of ways, and, and one of the biggest ways is just what you described there. You know, at given the number of moving parts, it's really difficult for a coach to implement a system, and I think given where they're at, given the, the youth and inexperience on the roster, given all the moving parts, you know, I think Stevens' focus has really been on more on culture, attitude, you know, trying to maintain or instill a, a sense of accountability, and really kind of get guys to understand the values that that he wants to see in guys that, that are part of a Brad Stevens team and really a lot of the the intricacies about the offense and the defense uh, are just gonna kind of have to wait you know we we were really spoiled over the past six seasons with the you know originally uh, the defense originally implemented by Tom Thibodeau and and just the the way the Celtics um, you know uh, were able to execute that type of defense so effectively you know the kind of five guys on a string type defense and we were kind of spoiled and uh, I I think you know at some point uh, you know I have a lot of faith in Brad Stevens as a coach and his ability to kind of get the team kind of back to that um, well-prepared well-oiled well-executing machine but you know it's it's going to have to wait until Danny Ainge really uh, finishes kind of the, the rebuilding job and kind of gets to the roster that he wants. But while you're talking about defense Rich I've been very pleased by the fact the team is eighth in rebounds and eighth in points allowed. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, they haven't played poorly on defense, and I think that's because Stevens has done a great job of just, you know, getting guys to play hard, and that's one of those values, um, you know, that I think he's really focusing on promoting and instilling right now, and, you know, that effort goes a long way. I mean, you know, especially in the regular season in the NBA, effort goes a long way uh, on defense and on the boards, and, you know, frankly, they've got a better rebounding team than, than they've maybe had in the past, you know, three or four years, certainly. I think, you know, to the 2007-2008 season, when they won 66 games, they were an above-average rebounding team and, you know, were 
tremendous on the defensive boards. Um, you know, you had guys like Leon Poe around, um, you know, who could occasionally get an offensive rebounding, but between Perkins and Garnett, they owned the defensive glass. And, you know, over, you know, the, the, the duration of the big three era, that kind of er- eroded quite a bit to the point where in the last couple of seasons, they were at best mediocre on the defensive boards and had just, you know, abandoned any sense of offensive rebounding, you know, partially by design, you know, Doc Rivers really stressed transition defense and getting back and keeping the other team from scoring easy baskets. Um, you know, but but I also think over time those, you know, the guys who did have those skills like KG, they kind of atrophied through disuse. Um, and then, you know, the roster turnover, you lost Perkins, you lost Leon Poe, you lost Big Baby Davis. And I think um, the combination of, you know, kind of reduced talent uh, on the offensive glass and lack of focus just made them a, you know, almost a historic level non-factor on the offensive Horrible. Class. And I always thought that Doc used that as an excuse. we got to get back on, on defense. And I just thought it was because they didn't have the players that had the skills to grab boards anymore. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I think it was a combination of both. I think early on there was, you know, he he made a point to, you know, make sure the transition defense was where it needed to be and he didn't mind sacrificing offensive rebound, offensive rebounding, but, you know, kind of over time it, you know, that lack of focus kind of just became lack of ability and and you know whether through, you know, players who had it getting like Garnett getting older and 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 you know kind of, you know, picking and choosing their spots or just kind of the, the changing composition of the roster. You didn't really have, you know, those guys like, like Leon Poe, who was, you know, really a steady force on the offensive glass for the year or two he was in Boston. You're listening to the Celtics Beat with Ty Wright and Rich Conti. It is All-Star Weekend in New Orleans, and coming up in about 20 minutes or so, we'll be hearing from John Barry, the lead radio analyst for ESPN. He does games with Kevin Calabro, and I was... Fortunate enough to join him yesterday and have a discussion about the All-Star break, the All-Star game, the All-Star festivities, as well as the first half of the NBA season. We also talk Celtics, so we have that to look forward to in about 20 minutes or so. Talking about the All-Star break, Rich, I mentioned that at the beginning of the show in New Orleans. Last night was the Rising Stars game, and I caught a little bit of this, I'll be honest. I didn't watch it all, but it was a lot of fun to see Sully out there, Jared Sullinger, along with Kelly Olenek, and they did themselves well. So yeah. with 13 last night, Olenek with 9. They certainly did, and you know, in, in, in the in the past, I've been generally disinterested in that game, primarily because it only vaguely played basketball. You know, it's, it's a lot of you know guys running up and down the court, um, you know, and and you know just wild passes, a lot of turnovers, and and. But, um, you know, with Olenek and Selinger in the game this year, it kind of held a little bit of interest for me. Fan voted, too. The fans voted them into the game, is my understanding, correct? Did, did yeah. you read that? Yeah. So that's I exciting, did. too. And I'm excited about these two players in particular. Jared Selinger, of course, recently Eastern Conference Player of the Week after having an incredible performance against the Kings where he went for 31 boards. Or 31 boards. Who is he, Bill Russell? 31 <laughs> points. 15 boards, and he had like five double-doubles in a row before coming down to earth against the Spurs the other night. But my understanding in that game, Rich, was that he was actually sick. So it made sense why he didn't have a, a great game against a guy like Tim Duncan, who proved once again he's drinking from the fountain of youth. Man, 23 points in that second half on Wednesday night for Tim Duncan. 
Yeah, he had a great game, and you know he's Duncan. Obviously, is you know an all-time great, and even kind of at this stage in his career, he's the type of guy that you know gives a guy like Sullinger a lot of trouble. You know, he's so long, he's so you know skilled defensively that I think those are the guys that that Sully struggles against. But yeah, I mean Sully was clearly under the weather. I think he only played about 17 minutes. You know, which um, you know that in itself tells you you know kind of how he was feeling uh, going into the game, and and you know Stevens kind of used him sparingly. But as you said, he's been on a roll. You know, I think he's proven he's a, you know, a, a an above average rebounder. Um, you know, in the past, what he his communication with his feels like, you know, even just the one year of tutelage under uh, Kevin Garnett had a huge impact on him on, on that end of the floor. Um, and, you know, he's he's got a um, obviously a, a really technically sound back-to-the-basket game. Uh, he's an excellent interior passer for a big man, and he's been, you know, flashing that outside shot. And I think, you know, I have my doubts as to whether, you know, on a you know, championship level team, whether Sullinger and Olenek are anything more than, you know, fourth, fifth best players on, on your team. But one thing I do like is, you know, with those two is their skills actually complement each other fairly well. I think, you know, if you could find a long kind of rim protecting uh, five, uh, you know, a guy, you know, despite all his troubles right now and then the fact that he's kind of a knucklehead, a guy like Larry, nice three, you know, rotation at the five. You know, they all have complementary skills. Olenek, again, like Sullinger, fantastic passer for a big man, has great range, good knack under the basket. And so I think if you round those guys out with a rim protector guy, can play a little bit of defense, guard guard the rim, uh, get some rebounds, and, you know, clean up some garbage points, you know, that could be a nice little rotation there at the the four and five position. Yeah, certainly something to build on. Olenek with back-to-back double-doubles as we head into the All-Star break. And, of course... After Wednesday night's game, all the speculation was, okay, who is going to be leaving town in the second half of the season? And we were talking to Jared Weiss during the postgame show on CLNS, and he said that Chris Humphreys said to the staff, hey, if I don't see you again, it was great. (laughs) So let's take a look now at some of the guys that could possibly be on the way out of town, Rich, as we start the second half of the season Wednesday night in Phoenix. I think the most likely person to go at the break is Brandon Bass because his contract is friendly and he could be a real good component for a championship team. Yeah, he's almost a, the, the prototypical fourth, fifth, sixth man on a uh, championship level team. You know, he doesn't you know need the ball a lot to to be effective. He's turned himself into you know above average defender in certain situations. I think his play on Carmelo Anthony in last year's playoffs was was kind of a revelation. And I think um, there are general managers out there who haven't forgotten that he you know he'll give you solid effort on the boards um, and he's got a steady mid range shot um, and like I said he's you know kind of a quiet guy isn't going to demand the ball and and I think you know he could be that piece that helps you know either put a team on over the top in the playoffs or even just help them get into the playoffs and you know that last point I think is is really critical thinking about this year's uh, trade deadline and and why it has the potential to you know be a really active uh, you know week or so leading up to the deadline is while there's so much disparity between the Eastern and Western conferences clearly the Western conference is miles stronger than the East it's interesting that within each conference there's a tremendous amount of right you 
Oklahoma City's in the West. You've got the Indianas in the East that are, you know, head and shoulders. But in each conference, there are a good dozen teams that are legitimately in the playoff mix. And I think what that is, you know, really creates a situation that's really favorable to a team like the the, the Celtics who have some, some potential assets they want to sell off. What about Jeff Green? Do you see him going to a team like, say, the Oklahoma City Thunder? He could go back, be a real strong third option on that team, and fit in perfectly, I think. You know, anything could happen with Green, including staying with the Celtics, and it wouldn't surprise me at this point. Um, I wrote a uh, piece on CLNS Radio uh, yesterday looking at uh, the best case, worst case, and most likely scenarios for the Celtics, kind of most frequently mentioned in the trade rumors. And, you know, with, with, with Green... You know, it's 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 all over the map. You know, you know, best case is honestly that he stays put and establishes himself as a you know bona fide twenty point per game scorer and and third option. You know, over the last couple of months of the season, we know he's got that potential. And if he ever realized that and and could do it on a consistent basis, wow, you've got him at a you know relatively cheap deal for that type of of player. On on the other hand, you know, it could go the other way. You know, Ainge might just decide he's not part of the future and, you know, that the two years and, and 18 plus million left on his contract is a significant enough impediment to what he's trying to accomplish with the rebuild that he just decides to cut bait on him and, and ships him out of town for an expire, expiring contract. So, you know, I think it's really a question of, you know, what other teams out there are motivated to do. I think Danny Ainge's history, uh, if nothing else, has shown that, um, you know, he's not willing to take a step backwards in, in any particular trade. In other words, if if he doesn't feel a deal is accomplishing um, something that, that, that's important to the, the Celtics franchise, you know, he's not going to make a deal just to make a deal. And so I think it's really, you know, the ball's in the court of the, the, the rest of the NBA and, and, you know, who decides, you know, that, that a, you know, a green might put them over the top. You know, a team like Charlotte is desperate to make the playoffs. Might they decide that green is, is you know, the, the piece of the puzzle for that. You've heard his name connected with Atlanta uh, in a deal that would kind of be a salary cap dump for the Celtics um, and, you know, might bring them back a first-round pick um, and, and kind of give the, the Hawks another score at the uh, the forward position to, you know, kind of help uh, cement their playoff run. So it's really all over the map with Green, and whatever happens wouldn't surprise me, including, you know, him still being on the roster uh, come February 21st. When the Celtics acquired Jeff Green for Perk, it was all about, I thought, Rich, trying to construct a team that could compete with the Miami Heat, making the team more athletic and not so plodding. And clearly, Ainge had an eye on the future when he acquired Green. It just really hasn't worked out. You haven't had Rondo healthy. Of course, Jeff missed the entire season that year with a heart problem. Bradley's been hurt. It would just be nice if Bradley could be healthy, Rondo could be healthy, and Green healthy all at the same time. So Ainge really hasn't had a chance to see his vision take shape, and now we're running out of time. Yeah, clearly, you know, Green was brought in to be sort of that um, that piece to kind of maximize the last couple of years of the uh, Big Three era 
you know, they had uh, at the time, you know, the trade, remember that, that Shaq had just come off a good first half of the season. He was banged up, but I think there was hope that, that he was going to kind of at least be able to play to the level he did that, that first part of that uh, season in uh, 2011. And, you know, I think Ainge took a gamble. You know, he, he saw the way the league was going. He saw the, the focus on the the versatile athletic forwards like uh, LeBron James and, and Carmelo Anthony and, and decided he needed somebody to, to help Paul Pierce kind of match up with those guys and take some of the pressure off of Pierce's aging legs. And, and you know, he looked at the pieces he had and, and Perkins was, you know, due for a, a big payday at the end of that season that I don't think Ainge was really uh, enamored with giving him that kind of deal. And it turned out he was right. You know, uh, uh, Perkins has, has regressed pretty significantly since leaving Boston. And, you know, he swung for the fences. And it, it, as you said, it didn't work out. Uh, you, know, um, you know, there was that, uh, you know, the playoff run was, was kind of aborted in 2000. 11, um, really in no sm- small part thanks to the, the, the Rondo injury there in the series against Miami. I think people forget that, yeah, even though Miami went up two games to none, the Celtics walloped them pretty good in that game That's right. before, before Rondo got hurt. And really, you know, the series only went five games, but those last three Miami wins, or sorry, last two Miami wins in that series were tight games that went down to the last minute. Well, didn't game four go into overtime? Is that right? Yeah, went in overtime. You know, they show up in the box score as I think like eight point win and a nine point win, but they were they. I mean, they were games that could have gone either way. And I think people undersell just how close the Celtics were to sending Miami home uh, that year. And and of course, you got to remember, Ronjo was playing on you know basically one arm. Thank uh, you, thanks, Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the dirtiest player in the league, Dwayne Wade. And uh, you know, so you know, it didn't work out. And then you know, I think then kind of Green's role was was more to be the 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 kind of transition or the bridge to the next era. And then of course, with the, with the heart problem, that, that, you know, kind of got significantly interrupted. So you're right. I mean, the angels never really had a chance to evaluate some of his key pieces altogether on the floor at once to see what, what he's got. And, you know, that makes it a little bit more difficult to, to, to form a plan because, you know, you, you ultimately don't know what the value of some of these guys are and what their, their ceiling is. You're listening to Celtics Beat with Ty Ray and Rich Conti. It's All-Star Weekend. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll be hearing from John Barry, lead radio analyst for ESPN. I had the good fortune to talk with him yesterday about all the events around All-Star Game Weekend and also a look at this year in the NBA. Getting back to the trade deadline coming up, Chris Humphreys, as I said earlier in the show, Rich talked to the staff and said, hey, if I don't see you, it's been real. He has really proved his value for this club. So I'm wondering if at some point in time the Celtics might consider staying him or if they could get the right deal, they'd ship him out of Boston. Yeah, you know, um, Mr. Kardashian, of course, is carrying a $12 million expiring deal, and that makes him uh, valuable even if he isn't playing a minute. But as you said, um, you know, I wasn't uh, – really excited about the prospect of him playing in green, you know, when, when the trade was made, partially at least because of the run-in he had with Rondo last year, but but you know, he's impressed me with his professionalism, um, really more so than kind of the other guys that came over from Brooklyn in the deal, and you know, hey, he's got the, he's proven uh, 
you know, NBA level rebounder. He's shown a, a nice solid mid range shot. He's another guy that doesn't need the ball a lot. And, you know, I think folks really undervalue people like that, you know, in relation to kind of how GMs maybe uh, value them, particularly GMs of teams that, that are fighting for a playoff spot. So, you know, it really wouldn't, you know, surprise me if, if somebody uh, really decided that, that he was the key to their playoff push and was willing to kind of take on that, that $12 million expiring deal, maybe in exchange for a similar size, you know, expiring deal and, and, and another asset. You know, I'll throw a deal out there to you that I think makes sense. Uh, Humphreys and Bogans uh, to the Bobcats for Ben Gordon, who's on a $14 million expiring contract, and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. You know, that's the type of deal I think, you know, Ainge is sniffing around, uh, you know, a deal to allow him to add a young asset, not take any um, additional money on in, in, in the long term um, and, and you, know, you know, kind of parlay uh, uh, Humphreys into, you know, additional value. I was laughing, Ben Gordon. I was thinking to myself, will any of the other Celtics get a single chance to shoot the ball all year? <laughs> yes, no, Mr. Gordon. <laughs> Mr. Gordon's never met a shot he didn't like. He's kind of the anti-Gerald Waller. Uh, although, having said that, I still remember Ben Gordon lighting up the Celtics in that incredible Bull series back in the 2009-2010 season. That was absolute, or 2008-2009 season. That was incredible, that playoff series against the Bulls. Yeah, particularly that triple overtime oh. game where, where Ray Allen was equally unconscious and on fire. I, I think that was a duel for the ages. I mean, you know, there were moments in that game that that almost started to rival Bird and, and Dominique, and it's just, you know, back and forth, the big shots, and, you know, some of those shots that Ray hit in that game, you know, to, to send the game into, I believe it was double overtime, you know, Noah running at him, uh, you know, just one of those just classic come-off-the-screen catch-and-shoot shots from the from the corner just over the outstretched arm of Noah. That was that was an all-time classic. Such a fun series to watch back and forth. And it really was Derrick Rose's coming out party too to a national audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was a you know huge series for him. You know, right off the the bat, I think he was the key to that game one um, yeah. win when the when the Bulls really took it right to the Celtics on their own floor and kind of you know put them on their heels right from the beginning of that series. And yeah, that was really his coming out party. And I believe it was the next year when he won uh, the MVP before he had the injury. Hey, before we get to John Barry, you had talked about off the air Sean Grandy mentioning the fact the Celtics could actually be buyers. Yeah, that's one of the um, deadline. Yeah, that's uh, you know something that definitely caught my eye, and you know I I kind of been wondering that, and like I said, you know there's so much chaos kind of leading up to this trade deadline because so many teams are in the mix. You know the flip side of a bunch of teams being the mix is some team that's kind of teetering there on the edge may just say you know what, this this isn't our year. There, there's uh, enough teams bunched around us that it's going to be an uphill climb to make it. And, you know, maybe we, you know, we just decide to press the reset button. And, you know, gosh, you know, it, it, it's been a, a Celtics fan pipe dream for a while to think about, you know, a guy like Kevin Love becoming available. And, and you know, I believe the Seas are in a good position where they, they could make a really attractive package. I think, you know, if they were, you know, offering up uh, Jared Sullinger, a uh, couple of number one picks and, uh, Chris Humphrey's expiring contract in exchange for love, you know, I, I you know, I think that might just be enough to uh, attract the attention of uh, <laughs> of the Wolves. Unfortunately, we're dealing with Flip Saunders right now and and not uh, Kevin McHale anymore. So that's that's uh, <laughs> that's too bad, right? 
Although Flip does have a great relationship with the Celtics management and ownership. He does. Uh, he Remember does. when he was like a consultant or something during the playoffs not too long ago? Was it a couple years ago? Or Yeah, it was a couple years ago, right, where Flip was was uh, with Doc? Yeah, well, he's, he, yeah, he's, I mean, he's had a um, longstanding, really tight relationship with KG going back to you know, sure. days together in, in Minnesota. And I think that's how he kind of got connected up with the Celtics and with Doc. And I think he and Doc kind of hit it off right off the bat. And that was kind of interesting to see kind of Doc, you know, just bring him into the fold like that. And, you know, I've always thought that, that Flip's, uh, you know, vastly underrated basketball mind uh, in the NBA. So, Grandy thinks the Celtics could be buyers. That just got me thinking, and I could only believe what that would do to the Celtics fan base. If they were to make a huge move like that at the trade deadline, wow, that would just shut a lot of people up, I would imagine. And the only name that I I don't want to hear in Celtic trade rumors, honestly, is Carmelo Anthony. I I just don't see him as a fit, and I've heard his name thrown around quite a bit. Actually, I've heard Rondo, Amari Stoudemire, and I don't want to hear any of that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the the interesting thing with Stoudemire, if it was a deal for, you know, say Wallace and, and um, Bass or Wallace and, and Humphreys and, and bringing back um, Stoudemire, um, you know, the money actually evens out uh, in a deal like that. The difference is Wallace's contract um, – runs for an extra year. It's less money per year, obviously, but it runs for an extra year compared to Stoudemire's. And that actually would be advantageous for the Celtics because, you know, most folks seem to think they're really looking forward to that 2015 offseason and that free agent class as being the, the, the place where they're going to kind of add that, that big piece to really kind of return them back into, um, into contention. And, you know, it's, it, I think ultimately that's this is the plan, and it has been all along, right? Is to stockpile assets and um, not necessarily build through the draft, but just to have those assets so that you're armed when an opportunity comes up, like it did in the, the 2007 off season, to really add that 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 impact piece. And it really is just a matter of when the opportunity presents itself. So you know, it doesn't surprise me to hear Grandy say that, and I think actually Ainge um, said basically the same thing, uh, something the same effect on EEI uh, earlier today was that, yes, that opportunity arises, I'm, I'm going to jump on it. Um, you know, the, the challenge is that, you know, you're kind of a bit at the mercy of, of the rest of the NBA in terms of, you know, the dynamics of what happens with different players and the cities they're in. And, and you know, who knows? Looking forward, you know, the, the, the Thunder look great this year. Um, you know, it's interesting that they've been playing as well without uh, Westbrook in the lineup. But, you know, who knows? He comes back. Maybe Maybe if, if that team doesn't win the title this year, does Durant start putting pressure on the Thunder management to, you know, to make a move? And, and what options do they really have? And does, does that relationship sour over the next, you know, 6 to 12 to 18 months? And, you know, does he hit the marketplace at some point? So I think that's, you know, Ainge's is approach is saying, hey, I've got all these assets. I don't know who might be that difference maker that becomes available. I just know that on a regular basis that happens. And so I'm going to be poised and waiting for it uh, and ready to strike when it does happen. And with that, Rich, let's go to our interview with John Barry. I had the good fortune of talking with him yesterday in New Orleans about the All-Star break and the first half of the NBA season. Hey, John Barry. Hey. 
Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, you're in New Orleans for the All-Star Game, and the first question I wanted to ask you, John, has the All-Star Weekend lost its luster? I mean, I think back to Bird in 86 with the three-point shooting. I think back to, of course, the dunk contest between Dominique and, and MJ. Has it lost its luster a bit, you think, over the years? Um, I, I guess. I mean, I was watching NBA TV yesterday. They were showing all the dunk contests, and it was that dunk contest, Jordan and, and Dominique, and they were competing for $12,500. Uh, and it's, so it's like, why why can't we get our stars to come out here and do that? Uh, I wish Michael and, and Dominique would prod these guys to come out and do it. I mean, it uh, it, it certainly lost a lost or the this in particular. I, I I think the three point shootout is terrific. Uh, that's always been a, an exciting event, uh, but certainly the dunk contest is is not anywhere what it used to be. Obviously, the star power is very important with that. Uh, but again, I, I still think it's a it's a great weekend to celebrate, uh, you know, the best players in the world, and, and I think that uh, they're very appreciative. And uh, it's just been kind of a changing of the guard. We I think we were just so accustomed to all the names uh, that are truly one of the greatest uh, names in the NBA uh, that are gone now. And there's a lot of new names that are out there that uh, that I think when we look back in, in the future, uh, that maybe we'll feel the same way about the guys that are not there now. What do you enjoy most about All-Star Weekend? Uh, well, competition-wise, the three-point shootout to me is, is, is the best competition. And, uh, you know, it's also fun just to be around and, and see all the greats that come back, the Hall of Fame that are here. Um, it, it's pretty neat when you just run into uh, different guys at, at different events and uh, you just get to talk to them and uh, they they show nothing but respect and uh it's just it's fun to be you know in the company of uh, some of the greats that have ever played the game you're now lead analyst for espn you're working with kevin calabro on radio he's he's great i know you know kevin from your brother's days playing with the sonics talk about your guys's relationship this year and how that's grown and how much fun you're having kev is one he's got some of the best pipes in the business there's no question about it he's uh he's amazing i used to love you know, when I was watching my brother, you know, hearing Kevin on the calls of the Sonics, and uh, he's great to work with. He's uh, he knows the game. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We've only worked about seven or eight times this year thus far. Uh, we haven't had a big schedule, but uh, looking forward to the playoffs. Uh, you know, we always get good games. We do most of the TNT games on Thursday, which are always good matchups, and uh, uh, really enjoy you know just being being at those at those games and, and doing radio, which is a lot different than TV. Um, but we've had a good experience and uh, look forward to a great playoff run. You enjoying radio? Yeah, you know it's fine. It's it's different. It's uh, you know you got to be real concise. Uh, it, it's basically a play-by-play guy show because uh, he's got to you know obviously explain the action that's going on and so. If you're playing two teams, particularly that like to get up and down the floor, uh, my workload's not that heavy because you got to get in and out. So, uh, <laughs> right, it, it's a lot different. But uh, again, it's uh, it's fun to be at the at the marquee games, and uh, you know, looking forward to conference finals and then potentially the finals. It's been a couple of weeks since Commissioner Stern left his position. What are your thoughts on his time at the helm? Well, incredible. You know, you just look at the average salary and the 
the TV coverage and the amount of teams that he's put into the league and just where it is as a whole. And he changed the whole uh, the whole branding of the NBA into these superstar players and uh, an incredible job. I mean, this is uh, he's made this a global basketball a global league. Uh, it's 215 different countries, I think, is you know cover the finals and. Um, he he was incredible, and he was uh, he ran it his way, and uh, I think we can already see that, you know, Adam Silver is is going to be a different regime. Uh, there's no question about it. He seems to be a lot more open to discussing certain matters where uh, David was basically his my way or the highway. So uh, I think we're in for some some different different things on the horizon with the NBA and Adam Silver's hands. And he's talking about raising the age limit right to 20 years old which is one of the first stamps i think he wants to do i would be all for that i'd love to see kids uh play at least a couple years in college um i think it would help the college game it would help our game Uh, a lot of these kids just aren't ready to go i mean you take a look at this year's draft uh, as a perfect example of uh players that just aren't quite ready to do it at this point and i know there's a ton of talk about the kids that are in college right now yeah, particularly those five or six guys. Uh, but you know, I don't. Maybe somebody will be, uh, you know, a Kobe Bryant uh, or a LeBron James. It, it certainly doesn't look that way right now. Uh, but I, I just think players need to learn how to play the game correctly, and they need to stay in school. And I'd love to see it go to twenty. Yeah, let's talk about this year's draft because there's all sorts of chatter about teams tanking on purpose to get the top guys in this year's draft. Do you see any evidence of that? No. I just see that there's a lot of bad teams, uh, particularly in the Eastern Conference. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody's tanking. You go out to try to win uh, each and every game. I, I, I think teams would try to do that. Um, but, again, who's to say that these guys are going to be franchise players? I don't know. Obviously, uh, I think they're all very talented. Uh, there seems to be a, a pretty deep draft of players, but uh, again, I don't think uh, there's any clear-cut number one pick that's going to be a guy that you're going to build a franchise around. I actually covered the Nuggets, John, when you played there with Carmelo his rookie season, and I remember talking to Kiki Vandeweghe when he was GM down there. They nearly took Darko if the ping-pong balls bounced <laughs> the, the wrong direction. That'll tell you what tanking will do for you. Yeah, you know, and also I, I, I'm not sure the exact uh, percentage, but the the team that has the the best chance to win the lottery has only won maybe a couple times. Uh, so that's exactly why they've done the lottery because uh, they don't want you to tank. Then you get an auto, automatic uh, first pick if you're the worst team. So that has worked. Uh, I know Adam Silver's talked about possibly changing the lottery, uh, doing a rotation thing. I, I've heard. Uh, which I, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but everybody would get a chance to get a number one pick over a course of 30 years. That would be pretty strange. But uh, all in all, I think uh, you know it's a it's a good system, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all these young players come out. There's a bunch of good good names in college. There's no question about that. Any idea why the West is so talent heavy right now compared to the East? It just seems to fluctuate. You know, a few years ago, it was the East that was dominant. And, you know, it's flip-flopped, and I, I, I don't know the explanation. I really don't. Um, it's 
it's clearly uh, the West is much, much stronger, but I still do think the best two teams in basketball, well, no, I have to take that back. Indiana and Miami uh, were my top two teams coming into the season. Now OKC, I think you have to put uh, right there at the top, but those are the three best teams in basketball. So we're 50 games or more into the season, depending on what team. Who's your biggest surprise this year in the NBA? Is it the Suns? Well, the Suns are there, but Portland as well. I, I certainly didn't see Portland uh, being 19 games over 500. I believe that's where they are. Uh, but a great story in Phoenix. I mean, everybody said that that would be one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, they've been terrific. Jeff Hornacek has done an incredible job. Uh, them along with Portland. And, you know, I, I'm surprised where OKC is based on the fact that they lose Russell Westbrook. Uh, they had the best record in the league here at the, bre- at the break at 43-12, and 12, I believe. Uh, incredible what Kevin Durant's been able to do. And uh, Scott Brooks, I think, continues to get better as a coach. You know, very rarely do we talk about coaches getting better. It's always about players. But I think Scott Brooks uh, has, has become a better coach. And uh, right now, OKC, I would think, would be the favorite to come out of the West. Durant, your MVP? Yeah, I guess. I mean, LeBron, I think, is, is, is probably getting tired of that talk based on what we've seen <laughs> him do in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, it, it's a tough one to me because I do believe LeBron James is the best player in basketball, and it's a lot like when Michael Jordan was in the league. Uh, you know, I think everybody knew that he was the best player in basketball, so why didn't he win the MVP every year? Uh, I don't know. People get tired of it, I guess. Uh, but LeBron James is the best player in basketball, and his role's different than Kevin Durant. Obviously, without Westbrook, uh, there's going to be a lot more opportunity for Durant. He has to score the basketball for them to win. LeBron James doesn't. Uh, you see when Dwayne Wade doesn't play in games, LeBron James can go get 36 points like he did uh, the other night in Golden State and hit a game winner. Uh, so it's just a matter of what needs to be done to win. LeBron's not asked to carry the scoring load on a nightly basis, but he's certainly capable of putting up big numbers. And if he wanted to lead the league in scoring, I believe he could. Do you have any problem with that Mount Rushmore talk at all? No, that's what makes it fun, you know. Uh, I was We just brought it up at lunch. I had a meeting here today before <laughs> we talked about the Mount Rushmore. And it's fun because everybody's going to have different, you know. I, I you, you can talk about the guys in the past. You can talk about the guys in the future uh, or that are playing right now. And, you know, do you put Wilt on there? Do you put Kareem? Do you put Russell? Do you put, you know, who knows? I mean, it's, that, that's what makes it fun. And uh, I think Michael Jordan seems to be the only one that everybody's going to have as one of their four based on all the guys that I've talked to and we've talked about doing, Michael Jordan seems like the only one that everybody is unanimously unanimously uh, unanimous about. Excuse me. I know a guy that would love to be there, and that's Carmelo Anthony, who is an amazing scorer. I covered him when you were on the team in Denver, as I said earlier, in Denver. And what is going on there? What is going on with the New York Knicks? How can you go from having the season they had a year ago to a season like this? It's a complete disaster. Yeah, you know, injuries have played a part. Uh, you know, it was a team last year that, uh, man, it, they, they didn't play a whole lot different than they play now. I'm talking style of play. They they made difficult shots last year. They were a one-on-one team. Uh, they had a bunch of players that uh, that shot the ball extremely well. 
Um, you know, there were a few pieces that have left. Uh, you know, a guy like Novak uh, left the team who spaced the floor. Uh, I don't think Felton's play uh, has been anywhere near where he was last year. J.R. Smith not playing as well. Chandler in and out of the lineup. Kenyon Martin in and out of the lineup. Uh, Stoudemire, I think, has played very well in his limited minutes. Uh, he says there should be no restriction on his minutes at this point. Uh, but it is a, uh, it's been an awful season for them. I think it's going to get tougher. Um, I think they've lost 19 home games already. They only have 10 home games, I believe, in the whole second half of the season, so they're going to be on the road. Uh, so it's going to be tough. There's no guarantee they're going to make it. And even if, you, even if you do make it, you know, you're talking about the New York Knicks. Where is your team in the future? What's going to happen to Carmelo Anthony? Does he want to stay and get the extra $30 million? Does he feel like he needs to win uh, to solidify where he stands uh, when you look at him as being one of the best in the, in the game? It's about winning. And if he goes back to the Knicks, that team's not winning next year, and it's not winning the next year after that. This team has got a lot of work that needs to be done, so we'll be interested to see what happens to Carmelo this summer. Can you build around him? Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a guy that just he, he, he scores a basketball, and that's what he does, and that's what he does very well. Uh, and I think you just have to have the right person all around him. Um, I enjoyed my time with him in Denver. I thought he was terrific. Uh, that team, I believe, won 17 games the year prior to his arrival and won 40, That's right. 43 the next year. So uh, the guy does want to win. Um, I, I think he's the he's kind of the lightning rod when things don't go well. Uh, you always look to the best player. And uh, I, I don't think that uh, this Nick team, he's put in the, in the correct positions at times. I think he has to take shots that uh, because it's forced on him. Uh, they stand, they watch him, and uh, it's a it's a difficult situation. Again, I think you just have to put the right person all around him, and I do believe he's good enough to lead a team to a championship. John, it's an all-star weekend, and yet it's really strange for us that follow the Boston Celtics not to have anybody in the all-star game really representing the city of Boston. How long is it going to take this franchise to get back on top? Yeah, I, I don't know. This is a, a kind of a hodgepodge year with all the players that, uh, you know, there's a question marks about who's even going to be there next year. I, I don't think they have a whole lot of guys under contract. There's obviously a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of draft picks. Um, can, are you going to build around Rajon Rondo? I don't know. Uh, where does Jeff Green stand? Um, I, there's a ton of questions. Uh, Danny Ainge is a guy that's pretty active. He doesn't like to, you know, stand still here. I think he will be active. Uh, who knows what's going to happen here before the trade deadline. Uh, but again, the question is, do you build around Rajon Rondo? Uh, that's the biggest question uh, for the Boston Celtics, uh, and I don't know the answer to that. Would you rather be the Celtics than, say, like the 76ers or the Lakers who look a mess right now, or some of the other teams like the Bucks that are in the rebuilding process? Yeah, you know, I, I like some of the pieces that they have. Uh, I certainly would not want to be in Milwaukee at all. Uh, nine wins thus far, I guess, this season. But, uh, yeah, Boston's got some nice pieces. You know, Avery Bradley uh, is a guy, you know, I think he's coming up for contract as well. Uh, That's right. You know, so, you know, but between Rondo and Bradley, uh, Jeff Green, you know, who's kind of an enigma. Uh, we see the guy play incredible basketball one night, and the next night you don't even know he's on the floor. 
Uh, I think Sullinger's a guy you got to like. Olenek is a guy that's going to be around, be in this league for a long time. So uh, there's some nice pieces. It's a matter of you know what Danny's going to do, how aggressive he's going to be. Uh, this offseason is going to have to be a trade. Basically, 2015 is the year of the free agent. Uh, there are a few out there now, but I don't think anybody's really going to take off from their teams. Uh, so we'll see after next year is basically when uh, I think Danny Ainge is going to get real aggressive. John, you mentioned Jeff Green. Have you ever seen a player like him where he can go off one night and just look like the best player in the NBA, make it look so effortless, and then the following night he comes up with uh, single digits? It's amazing. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's been guys that have been inconsistent, certainly. Um, you know, and I, I can't explain it. Obviously, I'm not there on a nightly basis. But like sure. that he looks like a guy that, that, you know, some evenings he's he's – a clear number one option that you build a team around. And then there's other nights, like, again, you, you just don't see him at all. So um, that's another question mark. What, what are they going to do there? Uh, is he a guy that you want around? I think, you know, he came into the league as a number three option, basically playing with Duran and Westbrook. Uh, seemed to assume that role pretty well. Uh, so Boston had to find two guys that are going to be guys that are be ahead of him. But right now he's their best scorer. And uh, I don't know that he's capable of doing that on a nightly basis. John Barry, thanks for joining us on Celtics Beat today. Much appreciated. Okay, you got it. John Barry from New Orleans, the lead analyst on ESPN Radio. He'll be doing the All-Star Game along with one of my favorite announcers, Kevin Calabro, who used to be the Sonics play-by-play guy here in the Pacific Northwest. We need a team back, Rich. I'm sick of this. Oh, absolutely. You know, it it really is a shame. I think uh, it was hard to hear Adam Silver kind of come out the other day earlier this week and, and say, well, Seattle's a great city, absolutely deserving of an NBA franchise. They're really not thinking about it. <laughs> We're not going to get one. Right now. Exactly. And so that, that was kind of tough to hear because it, it just doesn't seem right, the NBA uh, not having a team up there. So it was interesting, too, to hear – Barry's comments about the All-Star game, and I asked him if it's lost its luster a bit, and I think it has. I remember really looking forward to this weekend, especially when I was younger. And you think back to 86 with Larry Bird and shooting the lights out in the three-point contest and Dominique and MJ going at it. Magic Johnson, what, in the 92 All-Star game, coming back and putting on that amazing display. What do you think, Rich? Do you still enjoy the All-Star game like you used to? Uh, not really. You know, it's always been an exhibition game, clearly a game that guys aren't, you know, going all out to win as, as, as they might in the playoffs or even a regular season game. But, you know, in the past, while, you know, the, the, the effort wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have that sharp edge, the competitiveness didn't have that sharp edge that, you know, um, you know regular games or playoff games have, there was still, you know, there was still a lot of good, solid, fundamental basketball. And, you know, it just seems like over the last 10, 15 years, it's just devolved more and more into kind of a playground show. And honestly, you know, the last All-Star game I can remember really enjoying was was 2005 at the uh, Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Uh, the East kind of held out to uh, beat the West. I think it was 125 to 115 or so. And, you know, I think the thing that was enjoyable about that for me, someone who really, really appreciates um, high-quality point guard play, and it was, it was fascinating uh, to, you know, for me to watch that game because uh, Allen Iverson won his uh, second 
uh, all-star game MVP in that game. And, uh, you know, he only scored 15 points. Uh, he had 10 assists. And, you know, what was really remarkable about it to me was to see him in that context where he was kind of surrounded by guys, you know, with a similar talent level, you know, as opposed to his, you know, play for the Sixers where, uh, and, you know, later on in his career for uh, Denver and, and Detroit where, you know, he was surrounded by kind of inferior talents and, and forced to shoulder a lot of the scoring load. You know, when he was put in into a situation with other talented players around him, you really saw just that those natural point guard skills that he really did did possess kind of come out and just, you know, the tremendous way he was kind of running that offense um, on the All-Star team. That was, you know, one of the few, the, one of the last times I remember watching a, you know, a team play in the All-Star game and, and, and you know, seeing something that resembled a, a normal NBA offense just with all these tremendously skilled players. And that was because Iverson was out there making a concerted effort to kind of orchestrate it all and you know it really showed in the numbers he dominated the game um, you know without putting a lot of points up on the board and and you know that was the last game you know I really can can remember enjoying a couple of years before that in Atlanta there was a double OT game I think where where KG got the uh, the all-star game MVP that was uh, I think it was 150 or 155 to 145 the West held out so you know it's been a while since I've enjoyed one of these things, and I think in the '80s, I think we were really fortunate because the All-Star Game hit its stride. Hit its stride, you know. First, with just the game itself, you know, you had all these, you know, just the league just had that influx of stars like Bird and Magic and Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and Patrick Ewing. And, you know, you really saw it in the quality of the play of the All-Star game. Um, and then with just the, the brilliant novelty of adding the three-point shootout or the slam dunk contest first and the three-point shootout kind of just made it into this weekend-long spectacle. But now even those events have kind of become humdrum affairs and it, it, it overall the week and just doesn't have the allure that it used to. It's more about marketing to me with, what, the Sprite logo everywhere. And then we had, of course, the other, uh, what, a couple years ago, we had Blake Griffin dunking over Kia, a car, which was kind of cool. But at the same time, wasn't really more about the car than the actual difficulty of the dunk. It just seems more about marketing than anything else. And I go back to what you were talking about, the great players playing in the All-Star game. It was truly great players in that game, and they took it so seriously. Michael Jordan was so competitive in that dunk contest. The the legendary story of Larry Bird, what, walking in the locker room, telling guys who's playing for second. Oh, That's yeah. three-point shooting contest. And yeah. I just don't sense that kind of hunger now, that sense of pride going out there. It's more about the celebration, more about being on the red carpet, taking your picture taken, being caught up with celebrity. That's what it just seems like to me, Rich. Yeah, what's that song, Money Changes Everything? Oh, you know? and it does, doesn't it? <laughs> and you're right, you know, there was a, a, you know, while it was still an exhibition game and ultimately the results didn't matter, you know, there was there was kind of this sense of bragging rights on the line and, and you know, guys were just, just so fundamentally competitive. You know, this was kind of before the heyday of the, the, the AAU circuit where all of these guys kind of are used to playing with each other and becoming buddy-buddy before they hit the league. And, you know, there was more of an edge. And, yeah, friendships did form, you know, the, the bird magic uh, relationship is just just a classic study and you know uh, rivals kind of you know forming a bond but there was still a hard edge you know on, on the floor and yeah just you know you know bird being you know one of the all-time trash talkers and carrying that into you know just a silly event like the three-point contest and really kind of giving it that added interest level was just made it so much fun nba and five 
Are you ready? Yep. Here we go. LeBron as a face on Mount Rushmore of the NBA. Rich, I think it's way too soon for LeBron to be talking about that. I know he has back-to-back championship rings, but when I look at the legends, the people in the Hall of Fame, no doubt LeBron will get there. I just don't see LeBron's face there quite yet. And legends, my friend, don't need to talk about being put on Mount Rushmore. They'll make it there without talking about it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, realistically... If you know anybody who has any kind of appreciation for the history of the NBA, you know how could you possibly make a case for putting LeBron, regardless of what happens in the rest of his career, ahead of guys like Bill Russell, like Wilt Chamberlain, like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Kareem? I don't think he has any shot to ever surpass any of those guys. The only qualifier I'll give, you know. Um, LeBron is the all-time front-runner in NBA history. You know, he's dominant when things are going his way. If I see him win a championship in the face of adversity, to see him maybe Miami, Bosch and Wade are gone, and lead a new cast to a title, maybe I'll change my thinking. But until then, you know, he just hasn't overcome anything in his career. He's been put in the position to where everything's lined up for him, and he's succeeded only within that context. Dwight Howard has a new home this year. He's with the Houston Rockets. They've won seven games in a row and risen to third in the Western Conference. It looks like the Rockets are definitely with James Harden. They've assembled the cast of characters. As you we, you and I talked about recently, Omar Sheik may be staying with the team. The Rockets look like a possible contender now in the Western Conference. Do they have a shot at going all the way this year, Rich? Seven straight wins, you know, moved all the way up to third in the Western Conference. Uh, Oklahoma City certainly looks strong, as do Indiana and obviously Miami. But hey, if this is a situation for Howard to see, or if there's a situation for Howard to succeed in, this is it. You know, it's a it's a lower key city in Houston. He doesn't have as much media scrutiny on him, and he's got James Harden out there to take a lot of the pressure of doing the crunch time scoring off his shoulders. He's got a fearless cast of players around him. I love Chandler Parsons. I love his approach to the game and you know this actually might be it um you know this could be the time for for howard to you know just have the pieces around him to actually succeed carmelo anthony doesn't have the pieces right now to succeed with the new york knicks yet he's saying all the right things saying he wants to stay in new york of course there continue to be trade rumors surrounding carmelo anthony anthony putting up big numbers but the knicks they're not going anywhere this year they are disaster as i Talked to him with uh, John Barry during the interview portion of Celtic Speed. Does Carmelo Anthony stay in New York? Rich, I say no. I think he wants to win a title, and right now the Knicks look light years away from that. Yeah, I think he stays in New York through this deadline. I think he's going to have some hard choices to make when his contract's up because ultimately Dolan isn't going to trade him as long as he needs to to justify his TV contract and put Fannies in the seat in MSG. And as for putting pieces around Carmelo, I don't see how the Knicks do it. They have no assets. They're involved in all these trade rumors, and you know those are just leaks coming out of New York because they have absolutely nothing on that team other than Carmelo that potentially interests anybody in the NBA. The NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball has made great use of instant replay. Well, some people might debate that. The NBA now looking at centralizing a replay center because they're getting tired of officials going to center court, then going to the scorer's table, trying to figure out the simplest of calls. 
Rich, is centralizing replay going to work in the NBA? I think it will. I think replay takes way too long, especially over things that seem like they should be a given. It seems like referees are looking over these calls for too long. Certainly streamlining of, of a particular... I think the other focus looking at certain situations, determining whether there's really any value in the re out of bound call, even out of time, I don't think it should be replaced. The clear path foul is the absolute worst thing that replay should be used. That is so much more easier to discern in real time by the naked eye. I think it gets overcomplicated when you slow the action down via replay and you end up with a lot of curious clear path fouls. You know, it's obvious when a guy is just fouling just to, to prevent a layup. Call those, be done with it, no need to uh, look at them on instant replay. Yeah, I agree with you, and I also just get tired of the delay in the game by the officials, the three officials going over to the scorer's table, looking on the TV monitor, so it'll be interesting to see how they make use of it in the NBA. While we have time, Rich, we've got one minute. Let's talk about Rajon Rondo a bit. I think he has been coming back slowly, but coming back at a clip that has me encouraged. I think that his game is finally starting to come around. Yeah, I'm not sure he has full confidence in that leg yet. You know, I think he uh, the piece that's missing is still that explosion that he can kind of bring out on occasion. Uh, you know, I think his his offense is coming around. You're starting to see those some of those nifty scoops. Um, you know, the passing and the court vision is always going to be there. It's it's nice to see him still be able to rack up d- double digit assist numbers and and kind of you know orchestrate an effective offense even with you know not having the all stars around him. I think you know he's just got to learn the teammates a little bit more you're still seeing some passes bounce off of guys hands you're still seeing guys kind of you know miss them easy layups but um you know i think he's slowly rounding into form and before we go rich i want to uh, thank our guest john barry for joining us from all-star weekend in new orleans also mentioned music beat for celtics beat provided by carlos andres mesa astrovex steph lagrato Keep up with Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and on Facebook and Twitter. And for executive producer Larry H. Russell, Rich Conti, we'll see you next Saturday at the same time for Celtics Beat. I mean, it, it flew right by. Um, I really wish I had a chance to uh, be with you to talk to Barry. He's one of my favorite NBA guys. Um, I always appreciated the way he appreciated the, the big three Celtics more than any of the, the other ESPN or TNT guys. Well, I like how once. Once.